We begin today from chapter 5. In this last chapter, the fourth one, we've Krishna has led us through especially the difference between action and inaction and right action and wrong action. He helps establish what is yoga, uh, what are the things as we practice that will allow us to create the idea and the intention of life as yoga, which is life as that yagya, as that self-offering. So we would imagine that we've learned it all, we've got it all, this is action, this is inaction, this is right action, this is wrong action. Let's see now what chapter 5, what new things Krishna may have to share with us. However, thank God for Arjuna, the really true devotee here. He represents um, not us in the intellectual where we're like, okay, I want to know more about this and now tell me more about that, where we just want to fill ourselves with the ideas and concepts of the spiritual path. Arjuna really, really wants to know so that he may practice. Because if we've understood everything Krishna said to us in chapter 4, well, have we been able to really bring that forth in everything that we do. If not yet, thankfully Arjuna won't let this subject go that easily. And so, chapter 5 verse 1 begins so. Arjuna said, O Krishna, you speak of renouncing action, yet at the same time you recommend it. I would like to know for certain which of these two is the better path. So we've been talking about this for a long time. Arjuna's asked this question before in a different form. Krishna's gone, gone over many aspects, many subtleties of what is dharma, what is karma, where does action become dharma, where does it become karma, is inaction possible, what is non-action, what is right action. However, here it is, here we are again, Arjuna, wanting to know for certain because you're talking about, Krishna says, often he would tell us, get into that nishkam karma, get into that renunciation of the act, get into that self-offering where you don't even feel like you're acting. But often he would also say, in fact, the very preface of the Gita is, Arjuna, you must fight, which means Arjuna, you must act. So what is this? Should I act? Should I not act? Which is better, renouncing all activity or engaging in activity and the blessed lord answered both action and non-action when rightly understood lead to salvation of the two however right action is better now let's look at that for a moment both action and non-action when rightly understood lead to salvation. However, of the two, right action is better. Now, better has to, of course, be understood in the right context as well. We've got right action, just action in general, and we've got what Krishna is calling non-action. Once before, in chapter 3, if you remember, he also uses the term inaction. However, he says inaction is impossible in the world. There's just no concept as inaction. And so, essentially, allowing us 
the kind of space to say that there is no way we're not going to be participating in this world one way or the other. We have to participate, but we have to see what action is and what non-action is. In chapter 4, Krishna talks about non-action, especially from the point of view of a saint. He said those who have completely renounced egoic identity, those who have established their union with God, for them, even while they act, they are in fact not acting. Which means, what? That they have completely awakened to the reality that in fact God is the doer of everything. And no matter what I do, no matter how I use the body, no matter how I use my words, how I use uh, my thoughts even, it's really just God enlivening them. And that's the attunement, that perfect alignment with God's will, where our free will, where the human will merges into God's will. And that's non-action from our perspective, in the sense that realization that the I, the ego, or the separate identity has no reality in terms of the fact that it does not in any way, in fact, act in this world. It is only God who acts through us. But Krishna then says, and these are two, two pathways, right action. What is right action? Right action is the path of karma yoga. And non-action is the path of jnana yoga. So that wisdom, when it is awakened, that you realize the who am I? Remember, we went into that whole inquiry. Who does feel? Who does think? Who is enjoying this moment? Until you get to the point where you realize, God, God, God. But karma yoga is, what can I do? Which is what right action is, which is what dharma is. What can I do that ensures two things? I do not create new karma. And I disengage and entangle or not entangle but remove any entanglement of past karma neutralize any of the past karma but then he says of the two however right action is better why is right action better right action is better because right actions more approachable for the majority of us for most of us if we try to go towards non-action we tend to fall into inaction. Oh, wait a minute. I have to, I'm not doing anything. God's just doing so. I'm just going to let God flow through me. I'm just going to let God speak through me. Swami Kriyananda tells yeah, of this. I was thinking about that. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> thinking all the time the same things. <laughs> Swami Kriyananda tells this fun story as a young monk. He was giving, you know, he, he's been hearing this. God is the doer. Let God speak through you. Let God act through you. And so he says, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm really going to test this out. And so give, on one day when he was giving a public lecture at their temple, he just in the middle wanting to see how does God speak through me? How does God act through me? He says, I'm just going to go up there. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let God speak through me. So he walks up, of course says nothing and there he is he's standing there one minute passes by two minutes pass by just nothing three minutes i mean in that moment those minutes seem like eternity everybody's wondering what's happening what's wrong with him has he gotten afraid is he nervous and then swamiji realized he says if i don't engage if i don't open my mouth if i don't let words if i don't put the energy out remember we constantly talked about only energy when it's moving can then be directed. But if nothing moves, there is no direction at all. Like that story, you, know, you should see how it was before. 
when God had it all. Yeah, that's a that's another fun story. Yeah. <laughs> There's this um, uh, a farmer. Yeah. There's this farmer, and he he's got. Um, a beautiful farm you know it's just a very abundant beautiful harvest everything's just full of prana and lots of wonderful uh, i don't know whether it's rice whether it's wheat whatever it is he's growing good stuff so the local priest of that area comes over to the to the farmer and he says oh look at you know what a wonderful um, farm that god has created and the farmer kind of jokingly but also uh, very subtly says well, you should have seen it when God had that land all to himself. Which means when God had that land, nothing grew. It took the farmer's energy and his action inspired and guided by God, of course, that allowed all that bountiful, abundant harvest to be available. And so, so it is in our life. There it was, Swami Kriyananda, zip waiting for God to speak through. So when we wait for God to act through us, because we don't know what that feels like, we shift into inaction where, okay, I'm not going to speak at all because God has to speak through me. And we let our own God-given will be put aside. And most people, when they approach the spiritual path with that um, kind of hope that I'm just going to open myself and only God should speak through me, work through me, act through me, they tend to kind of go into a very lazy uh, expression of the spiritual path, kind of like nothing's worth until God doesn't inspire me to do something, until I don't feel this divine energy flow through me. I'm just not going to engage. So for us, for the majority of us, right action, like that farmer, like Swamiji, okay, if I have to say something, let it be to the best of my ability, that which is in harmony with the divine. I'm not yet perhaps at the stage where I can really feel God speak through me, but when I start aligning myself to what God might be saying, I begin to open myself to the possibility of in fact God saying that through me. And the saint knows that all of us, it is God. I can't move my hand of my own accord. I mean, I don't even know how it moves. I can't digest this food of my own accord. I don't even know where my thoughts come from. So, in fact, God is constantly expressing through us. But unfortunately, he has to express through us through the filter of our consciousness, through the thermometer of where we are in our astral spine. And so he expresses only limited versions of himself through us. And the saint's intention is always to let God completely express himself through me where the sense of I is no longer present at all. But to get there, we have to start with right action. So for all of us, if we're ever wondering, should I act or not act? This is the counsel of Krishna. Right action is better than non-action for right now. And he's answering Arjuna's question. If another kind of, a, let's assume a saint were to come and were to ask him the same question, perhaps Krishna's counsel would be different. And we as Arjuna, this is what we need to do because we are in the Mahabharata. We're right now in the midst of the war for our own consciousness. We're fighting our own tendencies to gain complete mastery of ourselves. So while you're in the war, right action is the better or if not the better let's say the first 
preferred step to take. O mighty Arjuna, only that person deserves consideration as a true renunciate who finds freedom from entanglement easy, having no likes or dislikes and no attachment to duality. We've heard Krishna say this over and over again. Sometimes it feels repetitive, but it's repetitive because our consciousness, our egoic self needs to just be reminded, what does it mean to be a renunciate? What and when can I get to the stage where I say, in fact, I do renounce outward activity. When can you choose to let go of a dharma that you are engaged in and then say, now is my time to withdraw and retire from all of this? When can you do that? When can that state of renunciation be expressed? He says, he is a true renunciate who finds freedom from entanglement easy. Once you're already, once the world already does not have the hold it has on you, at that time, we can start to let go perhaps of these, of a lot of these outward expressions that we have. And that is when we can make that shift from just, not just from right action, but also then to begin that really deeper understanding of non-action, or in this particular case, God action perhaps is a better way to put it. It is the ignorant, not the wise, who speak of the paths of wisdom, which is the Jnana Yoga we talked about, and yoga as being different from one another. Yoga here, Krishna is talking about yoga from these two perspectives. Yoga, of course, it's all yoga because it's all uh, kind of directed towards union with God. But here he's talking about yoga a little bit more specifically from the practices, the outward practices, which can be brought into the umbrella of karma yoga because it means it requires action. Even meditation is a kind of form of karma yoga because it requires us to sit in a place, it requires us to close our eyes, it requires us to place our attention on the breath, to get the concentration, get the body in alignment, get the energy moving. None of this happens passively or automatically. All of it requires our conscious intention behind it. So yoga is both karma yoga in the perspective of this outward activity, but any step, any technique, any practice that we would perform to take us to a state of yoga, in this particular case, is being called yoga. So only the ignorant and not the wise speak of wisdom, jnana yoga, as different from yoga, let's call it karma yoga for now, as being different from one another. One who is truly established in either receives the benefits of both. So we've, we've all got these two ways. Now, of course, there's a bhakti yoga and Krishna will go into that in detail as we go further into then how we take these both yogas, wisdom and action-based, and then feed it into the heart's love. But for now, let's just took look at these two systems. Wisdom, the tool of wisdom has been what? Has been discrimination, has been this understanding, has been the detaching of ourselves from every moment and just seeing, okay, who's experiencing this? Who's doing this now? Who's feeling this now? Who am I? 
We talked about introspection being an amazing tool to get to wisdom. We talked about that fun story of the Nathy Nathy, the guy looking out for this is not it, this is not it, this is not it, until finally he gets his discharge papers from the army and he says, this is it. So that's the kind of the wisdom way where we're just, we're watching the world and seeing where is truth, what is untruth, what is off God and what is off Maya and starting to create, separating the milk from the water. So once you start doing that, of course, there is an action involved even in this process. You have to be very active during this. Even this process is not passive. The mind has to be very, very, very sharp, alert, catching every thought, catching feelings, catching desires, being able to redirect them up to the point between the eyebrows because this is where the intellect can truly separate and differentiate and discriminate. It can't happen from just the reasoning point of view. And so even there, and then of course, when you're practicing any practice, there has to be enough awareness of our practices. What is in fact going to help me uh, free myself from my karma? What are the techniques that are specifically beneficial to me? The path of yoga is so vast. I mean, you know, it's just one thing that we're just constantly talking about right now is just the amount of options available to us today you know so many people engaging in wonderful you know self-help now do this i mean everybody's taken um these higher teachings of the vedas of the scriptures of the masters and they've brought them down to many different levels of uh you know use Ah, meditation to become <laughs> become more successful oh affirmations to become prosperous prosperous oh this particular technique to do this and and of course it can do that for us but what is where where is our yoga in this entire spectrum and that too requires a lot of our awareness and so whether we go for one or the other whether we feel wisdom is more our way whether we feel yoga is more our way both of the two are going to intersect at points where you won't be able to really distinguish between the two. There will be no separation. So whatever your path, know that you're going to have to include the other in it, one way or the other. The state attained through wisdom, Jnana Yoga, is the same as that attained by action. The two paths lead to one universal realization. Renunciation, however, O mighty armed Arjuna, is difficult to achieve without God uniting activity, yoga. So now he's saying, while wisdom, which is the intention of wisdom, is that detaching, is that renouncing involvement in the world. That's the purpose of wisdom. When you realize that, finally that entanglement that you have begins to loosen. So Krishna is saying, while renunciation is a path in itself, it won't come about if we don't also have, in addition, a God-uniting activity. Which means we can't only say, I won't engage. It says, I won't engage in this way, but I will engage in another way. And so, one way or the other, action is going to be a part of this. 
in whatever your natural inclination may be for many from some people that mental distancing the constant running of philosophy the reading the absorbing of information and knowledge you know they they revel in it and they feel satisfied in it but krishna here is kind of creating for us this other side of it saying that's not going to do it that kind of renunciation is not just going to kind of naturally descend upon you if you don't also have an activity that simultaneously unites you with god because otherwise the way our teacher swami kriyananda put it he says spirituality so easily becomes more about world negation where what it should be focusing on is what he called samadhi affirmation and so it's easy to disengage in the world but then that disengagement that non action as we said takes us to inaction and it pulls the energy down makes us dry tends to make us a little cynical judgmental and a little bit of that spiritual ego begins to develop because that ego while it's more refined now it's more aware it hasn't found a way to offer itself that self offering that yagya that the last chapter was so much about does not happen until there is a god uniting activity as well and here of course he's talking specifically about meditation by the practice of yoga the muni and the muni here he defines as he whose mind is absorbed in god soon attains the perfection of oneness with the absolute no taint of karmic entanglement remains for him who has been purified by right action and engaged in divine communion so these are the two things krishna is talking about outwardly the performance of right action and we've talked about right action again and again we've talked about those two choices that are forever before us whether my energy is going to go up or my energy is going to go down whether this action is going to help me expand my sense of self or contract my sense of self whether this will take me a step closer to divine awareness or further away and and to get to the point of what's the right action for me and what am i supposed to be doing becomes moot in this particular case because it's like okay what do i do right now <laughs> i have right now an option to take this step or to take that step and every moment needs to be lived that way where right action isn't some sort of overarching what is my purpose what is my dharma as much as what do i do right now and then while there is right action because right action even though performed beautifully even though it is aimed at the neutralization of karma then also has to be brought in and up so that inwardly also right action is taking place that the right action doesn't just kind of dissipate our life force but it lifts the life force back up to the source from where we are in fact drawing the inspiration behind the action thus he says the person dissolves his ego into infinity and achieves victory over the senses and realizes himself as one with the self of all stanza 8 he who in the state of union with god has cognized the truth finally understands i myself do nothing at all though he sleeps or oh sorry though he sees hears touches smells 
tastes, moves about, sleeps, breathes, speaks, excretes, grasps, <laughs> opens and closes his eyes. I mean, I can imagine, there it is, Krishna is just talking to Arjuna and he's just going through like this entire list. He sees, he hears, he touches, he smells, he tastes and he's just trying to really drill upon us that no matter what we do, when we're engaged in so much, the saints, our masters who've come, they engage in so much. In fact, they engage in more than we engage in. I mean, they go about meeting millions of people, just going and creating, you know, movements. I mean, their, their engagement in this world is a million times more than our engagement. I mean, what do we do? I mean, our lives are so tiny, our circle of influence so limited. Yet, even in that complete limited reality, we're so entrenched. Whereas in their expanded reality, where their aura goes to embrace absolutely everyone, yet not creating a single attachment, bondage, or karmic entanglement. I mean, that's the power when God works through you. So here, in that state of union with God, that truth is fully cognized. And that's the word here. To cognize. It's not just God's everywhere, I'm just this, I'm just the doer. It's not a mental state at all. That experience has to just grow into you till you realize, wait a minute. It's, and here, this is how he says, I myself do nothing at all. I mean, it's like one of those aha moments. Look at me, I do nothing at all. And then no matter all this stuff, excretes, grasps. I mean, I, I love this stuff. Grasps, opens and closes his eyes. I mean, Krishna is just going into the minutia of all of this. Such a person knows at all times that these are but the senses engaging with their sense objects. That that's just going to happen one way or the other. The senses have a reality. The senses engage with the sense objects. Thus, the world exists. There is this um, saying that says, if a tree falls in a forest and there is no one to hear it fall, does it in fact make a sound? That is to say, if there is nobody to observe the world, if there is nobody to sense the world, does the world even exist? And for each of us, it only exists because our senses engage with sense objects. And as a master, he uses that reality to influence the world. And as a slave, we, the world, uses this reality to bind us further. As the lotus leaf is untouched by water, so the yogi who acts without attachment, self-offered to the divine, is not affected by sensory experience. And here Swamiji in fact puts here, whether gross or subtle. Where Swamiji in his explanations, he goes into even in meditation, all the experiences that we receive, they too, to a certain degree, are sensory experiences. And they too, to a certain degree, have just as much of a binding influence on us as the world. Because as we ascend the staircase, of wakefulness as we go closer and closer 
our senses are no longer as engaged here, but they become much more engaged inwardly. And there it is in an inner world and in our astral and causal world as well. That has just as much a binding effect on us. And it takes a long time even in that direction. So if you're looking for those lights and those sounds and those visions and those, ah, those blissful tingling sensations, beware of them too. Because they too are sensory experiences just as binding to the ego as the sense of the need for a specific taste, the need for a touch of love, the need for certain things that we want to see and hear and smell. But like the lotus leaf, untouched by water, so we can be as well. And what does it require from us? And this is where Krishna is, you know, this is the direction he wants Arjuna to take. Krishna is not asking Arjuna to fight because, um, you know, he's like, we have to kill these people. And, and that's where a lot of people get a little confused about. And today, especially when religions seem to have uh, very much to say against each other, this sense of fighting is is very uh, uppermost in people's minds. But this fight is only if you're looking for freedom. And this fight is twofold. Right action until you start to realize that there is no action at all. That I'm never, I was never the doer. Krishna wants Arjuna. And what is, what is Krishna's role here? As the charioteer of Arjuna, what is his role? He will take Arjuna where he needs to go. He will guide him to the fights he needs to fight, to those particular battles now here, then there, then the third. Krishna's role is to be for Arjuna. What to do, when to do it, how to do it. And that's the role our Guru plays for us. That's the role Krishna plays for us if you don't have a Guru. And that's the role we need to open ourselves to. Right action until the right action can become God action. And so with that, because we're going to follow this theme again and again, uh, chapter after chapter, Krishna is going to bring it up. The concept of Nishkam Karma, the concept of self-offering, the concept of understanding that action is perhaps for the majority of us, um, our route to salvation, our route to freedom for the most of us, unless we have perfected renunciation in its highest sense, all of us are going to have to engage with the world. So let's do it well, let's do it right, especially now, especially where we find ourselves today. As our teacher would say, Swamiji, if we have to live, let's live right. Very recently, I just remembered uh, we gave a satsang about the ego and this thought came to mind how to define ego. Energy going out. And that's exactly where all of us are right now in this lifetime. Our energy is constantly going out, grasping things, wanted to touch, wanted to get entangled. And it's so important to have an activity, an action that will help us to channel that ego. Recently, I was thinking that an activity in itself, an action, is the way that God 
uses to communicate with us. Sometimes we are so afraid not to take our next step, but by making that next step, by acting, by getting involved in a project, in any activity, we are giving God a chance to answer something to us, to respond, to be guided or to be uh, given the right insight that we have been desperately asking him in meditation and it may not always come through a meditation it will come through an action through an activity where god can show you clearly what we need to do so i want to ask each one of us to put a little bit more energy in how we perceive our daily activities and how we enter into them because each action can be a piece of art this is what we are adding to the canvas of our life just right now i was thinking even though this may seem trivial every time that swamiji had to you know join you know a meal or go into another room or to start a phone call he would go to the bathroom and he will comb his hair very trivial you may think wow this is so like superficial why and it had nothing to do with his physical appearance but it was about how he was entering into each activity into each interaction it was he was so proper so poised so all together in himself and that's how the, the energy that he put, he entered into each activity. So I would say for each one of us, why don't we make of each action a piece of art where we put the best of us, the best of our movements, perhaps, you know, even before each activity, we can even change clothes, clothes. we can comb our hair, we can just do something when we prepare, when, where we enter and face that action from our highest, physically, energetically, mentally, uh, at a thought level. And that will create an impact in our blueprint, in our energetic karma, and it will remain there. So if you want to experiment, if you want to be creative, make sure that each activity that you perform throughout this week, you are really adding and you are seeing it as an art that you are offering into the world, into around the people around you, in, at work, with your family. I mean, everything about you everything that you put into movement it has a color it has a specific sound it has a specific physical appearance appearance that that it, it will have a ripple effect so have fun with each activity and just magnetize the presence of the divine and interact with him see what he's trying to tell you through each action 
and it can be really mm, powerful to see how much we learn in those 30 minutes activity in that hour phone call in that you know those 45 minutes that we are writing something if we put our heart our being into that activity at the end of it we will see that that ego that energy that has been going out has been purified has been refined has been redirected rechanneled and this is something that only each one of us can do and need to experiment with and make sure that each activity is bringing us closer and closer to the divine, to Krishna.